Welcome everybody to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. I'm in stunned disbelief as I sit here. <laughs> My dear, dear friend, country music superstar, and I was listening to other podcasts you had done this week. Oh, were and you? someone called you guitar badass oh my god i like that oh guitar goodness. badass <laughs> you Lindsay did your o. research i tried to hello chuck yates i'm very proud of you we have been talking about doing a podcast for a long time like a podcast episode together and i am in i'm here You're, in person we're making it happen so this is actually going to drop after the fact so Amazing. we can actually tell what you're doing in Richmond. Perfect. Tomorrow you're gonna play in Richmond, Texas. Yep. Crawfish Boil will be like it it'll be the place to be. I mean, I think Chuck has sold so many tickets. Who knows how many people are really gonna oh, that, show up? Oh, that's the whole beauty of this whole setup. So Colin and Jake, Digital Wildcatters. Mm -hmm. They sold the tickets. Amazing. They get the money. Amazing. They've got sponsor money. I'm just donating my house for free. That's perfect. Yeah, isn't that great? That is perfect. I don't know how I figured that side of the deal out. It's, I'll take nothing. It's because you're prominent businessman, Chuck Yates. For all of you listening, it is the title I gave Chuck pretty early on. How long have we known each other, Chuck? Uh, least five years. At least five years, yeah. And pretty early on, I was like, this will now be your name, prominent businessman, Chuck Yates. And to your credit, you actually got me the nameplate from I my did. desk. <laughs> I, I totally did. I've tweeted that out, and people are like, oh my God. This asshole's so cheesy, he went and freaking got himself. <laughs> no. I'm like, no, 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 Lindsay brought it. I'm guilty for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it suits you well, you know? If it's a crawfish boil or if it's like, you know, figuring out major deals in the energy business, which I feel a little out of place because I am not in the energy business on your podcast. So if people are coming here to tune in about stats and numbers and things that they want to learn about the energy business, I mean, my brother and dad work in the energy business, but I do not. So the last Lindsay we had on the podcast mm -hmm. was going on a blind date and the guy was supposed to bring a steak over and cook it for her and he showed up without a steak so i sent 12 <laughs> pizzas to her house stop it i'd never met her before we had friends in common you've the, never met her before it's it's not that hard to find somebody's address uh, it is not that yes. is true and so found her address and uh, kept sending her pizzas. So we, we do have an exclusion for energy talk with Lindsay's. Perfect. Great. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad I'm keeping it consistent. So like, given the fact that there are 12 Chuck Yates needs a job podcast yes. listeners like my mom, my yep. dad, my brothers, and all we that, all and there so will much. probably be hundreds and thousands of Lindsay L fans for those and I 12, love all of you so much. <laughs> for those 12 Chuck Yates Needs a Job yep. uh, podcast, who am tell I? us your story. Who are you? I'm originally from Canada. I started playing music when I was really little. I started playing piano when I was six and picked up the guitar when I was eight. And then just started playing shows. I mean, I, um, I kind of was discovered in Canada by the guy by the name of Randy Bachman. So he was in like Bachman Turner Overdrive, Guess Who? So if you hear songs like Taking Care of Business and American Woman, the dude who wrote those songs was the guy who kind of discovered me and, and got me started. And um, yeah, since then, I have lived in Nashville the past 11 years, went down and signed a record deal and have been touring around the world, being a recording artist, touring with uh, Keith Urban and Brad Paisley and Sugarland, 
Um, Chuck has been to so many of my shows. He's he's probably, I mean, apart from my mom and dad and my brother, maybe a couple of the people, like Chuck's right up there in, as, as far as like. In terms of groupie? I mean, yeah, president or of the stalk, fan club. Or stalker. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you I won't quite it? put you in that, those categories. I have had a few of those and you are you are definitely. Harmless um, stalker. You're a harmless stalker. We can give you that title. But um, but yeah, so I'm a recording artist. I um, get to do what I love for a living. That's very cool. Now, how did we meet? We met through. So I was on tour with. Who was I on tour with? I don't even remember. Anyways, a, a like friend of ours, Jordan Powell. Well, he was TMing Jennifer Nettles, right? Did we meet before that though? No, I think okay. I think we met right after the Women of Country. Right, that, that tour. That's yeah. right, that's right. Because I keep thinking of the Sugarland tour, but right. I was on tour with Jennifer Nettles and a like friend of ours, Jordan. I remember he was like, Lindsay, this is Chuck. You'll get to know him. He's a great guy. I'm like <laughs> cringing. Really, what did Jordan he say? He really grows on you. But you just need to meet him. Like, he has a, such a good heart. He's such a fan of music. And you just need to meet him. This is Chuck. And I'm like... Hey, Chuck, how's it going? And we became super fast friends. I remember shortly after um, we all went to go see Thomas Rhett, and it was like one of those kind of creepy text messages of like, hey, Linz, do you want to go see Thomas Rhett play? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Chuck. Uh, Hold on. Let's, oh, we got to back up okay, just let's back real up. quick on this. So we've got to go to a previous creepy text message. <laughs> Perfect. So I was actually in Nashville for mm -hmm. CMA. Mm -hmm. uh, they were doing stuff that week. Mm -hmm. And you were playing with the Raging Idiots. Oh, that's so what's the right. What's the amphitheater called? The, you know, Ascend? Yeah, Ascend, yes. the outdoor amphitheater. I remember that. And I texted Jordan and said, hey, your friend Lindsay, I'm sitting here watching her up on stage. And Jordan said, oh, okay, hold on, I'll text her. And... Anyway, I forget exactly what happened, but I was taking your picture and you're texting on stage and bang, a text from you came to me. So I actually have the picture that you of, texted me. Of me texting you. Now yes. that is definitely a tick in the stalker column, Chuck. Yes. No, it very much is, but, <laughs> but it is also I get to say, hey, nah, she texted me. Here's proof. That's I've true. The, I've you, got the picture. You do have a picture. So of we me met backstage. You. Remember? You that got is, me backstage. Right. That's at where ascend. we met. At Ascend. I guess the first time I heard of you was when Jordan was like, hey, there's this guy. His name is Chuck. And you're right. We did meet officially at Ascend. Wow. That feels like forever ago. That has to be at least five years ago. Yeah. No, it was, it was back. It was back because I met Jordan in sort of the summer, fall of 2015. Got it. And we just became kind of fast friends. Jordan's tour manager guy, and he was tour managing Jewel. Right. So that's how I met him. I went out on tour and was roadieing for Jewel, and also probably drinking too much back then. That was kind. Of, <laughs> that was that was separation. Part of it. Separation. Yeah. Divorce time. So there was a lot of Jordan kind of going. Oh no, Chuck. We don't need to do <laughs> Chuck, that. We come need to. Back yep. Over come here. back here. Come back over here. So <laughs> so yeah, but that's yeah, that's who uh, that's who introduced us. So yes, then. And I fessed up today. You this did. Is, this is this is the first time. Confession. So yes, Confession. the the going to see Thomas Rhett. 
I actually sent you a text, but I, I had Jordan on it too because I right. asked both of y'all if y'all wanted to go see Thomas Rhett. Jordan had already told me he couldn't go. You oh, you just told me that. And I'm like, <laughs> if I would have known that way back then, and that's creepy. That is, that is creepy. That is creepy. No, that's really creepy. But my, thankfully, I was my like... My heart was in the right place. Your heart was in the right place. <laughs> As all of you who don't know Chuck, his heart is always in the right place, which is just the beautiful thing about you, Chuck. Um but thankfully, I was like, yeah, I can come, but I'm going to bring my manager with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. That was, that was and, and the worst part about that, so so uh, anyway, we're, we're going to see Thomas Rhett, and uh, we, where was it? It was New Mexico someplace. It was in right? Albuquerque, yeah. It was in Albuquerque. I remember that venue, yeah. And and we had to get a car so to, to take oh us, you goodness. know, to pick us up. And so anyway, there were three of us, right? So mm-hmm. we, you know, Stacy, my assistant, called around. She gets this car to pick us up at the airport and take us over to the venue. Was that not the cheesiest thing you've ever seen? Guys, a stretch limo comes and picks us up. Oh, that wasn't even the bad part. If it had been a stretch limo, that would have been cheesy. I mean, but the disco lights inside it was it was excessive. Yes, yeah, and, was, and I was like, "Wow, Chuck, is this the way you roll <laughs> with everybody?" That was my first impression. Well, and I texted Stacy. I'm like, going, "Yeah, if Lindsay didn't think the text message about yeah. going to Thomas Rhett was stalker enough, this did Definitely it. Definitely, this is yeah." It was it was really quick because I was like, oh, okay, this is great. And I hop in, <laughs> and your manager made sure he went and sat next to me, and you were on the way on the other side of the limo. But oh God, that was gosh. such a cheesy mess. But anyway, it was fun. We got to hang out with Tr backstage. Yeah, that was cool. Tr's the best. His whole camp is the best. Um, that was that was a fun show. He's actually, at least my experience with him, and you've interacted with him too. He's actually what you see. He's totally what you see. Some artists are very different from their onstage Name personality. One. Name one. Oh my goodness, on. we're Come gonna go one. into this. Name one. Who's different than what they seem on stage? Like bad different. Like uh, let's break some news here. Oh my gosh, this Who's is like horrible in real life, and it's all fake on stage. Ooh, hi everybody. I Love can't my say that. Can all I right. say that? Of course you can say that. <sighs> we have like twelve listeners in the energy business. Nobody cares. Chuck, this won't Yates. get out. Um. We're not going to name a fake artist. We're not going to name. I mean, I'm thinking of somebody right now, but I'm just like, how much in trouble will I get? Um, oh, you won't get in that trouble. Uh, well, okay. Um, it it helps that like one of my best friends um, used to be married to. Him. <laughs> oh, this is getting good. Oh no, this is awesome. We might have to edit this. Um, nah, we'll hit edit. Hey Chase, why don't you stop rolling? Roll it, roll it, roll it. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 an interesting thing when you really get to meet like somebody's onstage personality with their offstage personality. Like, um, like for instance, in a good way, Carrie Underwood is very shy when you meet her. Like yeah. she's the sweetest human, but on stage she comes across as this like. I am woman, hear me roar, like, and then right. you meet her, and she's so shy, and she's the sweetest human being, but she is is so shy. And um, who I was gonna say was, um, I mean, I can't, Chuck, I can't. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I can't. I Hold can't. on, will you do this? When you win a Grammy, will you come back in and yes, say it? Yes, hundred percent. Yes. We have that. When on I win record. a Grammy, 
That's perfect. Done. You know, but that happens in every business. I mean, we've got pricks everywhere in the energy business. Yeah. When they want to do a deal, it's all like, hey, Chuck, how are you? And, you know. It just kind of baffles my mind, especially. I mean, it, it happens in every business, really. But, like, when somebody makes their career based on a certain persona and then you see how they act behind closed doors or what irks me is when they're just not a good human and they, like, you know, are doing, like, the artist thing of being a male artist backstage the stereotypical male artist backstage thing and and i just don't do well with that yeah no, that's I mean, where i draw my line life's too short life's too I mean, short come on life's too short the um so yeah so we went to thomas rat that was mm-hmm. really cool the uh the plane ride back the champagne goodness that was gracious. a lot of fun chuck yates that was a lot of it was like we were in a rap video <laughs> Chuck, your right. life is like you're in a rap video. Yeah, that that doesn't bode well for a career in private equity. Thus, we're rolling up on the one year anniversary <laughs> of me getting fired. So. Chuck Yates needs a job. Uh, dot com. Um, yeah, I mean, when Chuck even we played a few club shows back in March, like just as things were starting to open up and socially distant or whatever, and Chuck came out to be you know roadie slash guitar tech for a few of our shows and in nashville i come backstage after sound check and there's like two like magnum bottles of champagne like krug. in krug, krug no in <laughs> the dressing room on ice and i'm just like chuck <laughs> well in fairness to me in, it's in, beautiful well in fairness to me like I like your band. Right? They are the best. I, I the love best. them to death. But mm-hmm. I'm also somewhat self-serving in <laughs> that when you bring back some cheesy boyfriend, I want the band to go, where's that Chuck guy? He was always so much more fun. Oh, I see. I exactly. see. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm single, so you don't have any competition yet. But yeah. The, uh, so, okay. So we go see Thomas Rhett. Yep. And then you're actually kind enough because mm-hmm. I'm going through divorce you're kind enough to let me come roadie for you, which yeah. was really cool. And the dynamic, you're a good roadie. Well, and the dynamic I always tell people is that's kind of weird. Is I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm escaping reality. There's vodka involved. You know, kind of all that. <laughs> and this is your job. It so is you my were job. incredibly tolerant <laughs> during my tour as roadie. I your- mean, Chuck as a roadie, he's very helpful. He knows that like the tour manager rule. When you're escorting an artist around, you always need two laminates so that, you know, because I never wear my laminate. So Chuck is always very well versed in those kind of rules backstage. Well, and and why, do, why do I need two laminates if you don't have one? Because there's always one idiot security person that's right. like, I don't see a she laminate. She can't come in. And She's he's like, on stage now. <laughs> it has happened so many times. I've had to Google my face in a, in a venue and be like, this is me. Um, but... But yeah, you're 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 a very good roadie, actually. You you know those rules. However, but yeah, when I'm working, Chuck always wants to have fun, and sometimes I just need to be like, Chuck, yes. I need to go work. That's and he's like, okay. That's you. That's usually why I'm always best friends with your drummer. That's the is drummer's so true. always right. The drummer's always the screw up. So it's like, I mean, please take Chuck away. My drummer is like the furthest from that. My drummer is arguably like the smartest person in my whole entire band right now. Yeah, you he's, have an adult as a drummer these days. He's like <laughs> a star of a human. Um, but in my band are just awesome. They're all like they can chill, they can hang, they can joke around. Yeah, they're pretty good. So. 
Name name places we played or where we played. Look we at played. He's good, part of the band, guys. He's part of the band. Where did we play? Where did we go on tour, Lindsay? Well, Chuck, yeah. we started. Um, goodness gracious, we. I mean, you have you have come to the Paisley tour where yeah. we, you know, went all over the states. Because um, we did Route 66 in Vegas. Route 66 in Vegas. We the year were the there. year before the, the the horrible incident. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. And and what I tell people is, um, you know, Paisley played the Jason mm-hmm. Aldean slot, yeah. right? Of That's that right. tour. That's right. And you were on stage guitar soloing with him. I was on stage sitting at his bar, you know, because he has right. that bar. Yeah. The coolest thing about a Brad Paisley show is he does have a bar right on stage where if you're friends with somebody in the band or somebody on the crew, you can usually get on the bar on stage. And so, yeah, you were you were having a drink up there. I know. In the middle of Vegas. That was, that was a cool show. But it was kind of... Um, terrifying because i remember a year later like i could envision that because you're right we played the same slot and yeah it's it's crazy um so we played vegas i mean you've been to the coolest stages aka well hold on let's go back to vegas okay the there's some artwork for my podcast oh oh, (laughs) yes i love that we're talking about this right now because i feel like i need proper credit that's big time. Where cred. it's due, it's big time credit, guys. If you look at the podcast photo, like the avatar for the podcast, it's taken by yours truly right here. That is, <laughs> and let me give my side of the story. Okay, give your side of the story. So I think it was Ricky Abrams. Yes. Son. Yeah. Good old Ricky. I, it's his birthday today, actually. Is it really? Yeah. Happy birthday, Ricky. Um. So you played the show, mm-hmm. and as is the way is. I'm on vacation. Yep. You're working. Yep. So you're back to your room asleep because you do not miss a lobby call. I right? do not. I am such a stickler on time. Yes. If I'm two minutes late, I'm freaking out. So lobby call was at 8.30 a.m., as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Ricky, and we were up really late. But you guys went. Oh, my God. We, well, we went to the House of Blues, the foundation mm-hmm. room, me and Ricky. And the lady came over, and so what we all, what do y'all want to drink? And Ricky goes, eh, I'm not really sure. And she goes, Well, I've got two bottles of vodka. Why don't I just leave those here? The rest oh, of the no. night's a little blurry. <laughs> got it from there on. Yep. But I got back to my room at 7:30 in the morning. Lobby call was at 8:30, and I knew <laughs> that if I went to sleep. It wasn't. I would. I would not get up, no. and you would. Yeah, you would shoot me for missing lobby call. <laughs> So I packed my bags, I went downstairs, and I just slept at the taxi stand because that's where we were supposed to meet. And guys, at the taxi stand, he literally put his bag. I mean, you can see on the picture right now, if you're looking at it, he put his bags on the floor, used that as a pillow, and just slept. And so I come down for lobby call, and I see this man laying on the ground, and I'm like, oh my gosh, is somebody okay? And I'm like, wait a minute, that's Chuck, what? Is he okay? You never told me you called the paramedics. <laughs> it's like I was oh my so God. worried. And then yeah, I just, you know, he was catching a little snooze from his big night out on the Party town. With Ricky. The uh no, so you did take that picture. Yes. I'm I feel so honored that you <laughs> used my photography skills. But uh but hey, I can well, take a good iPhone photo. It was really funny. So when I was coming up with the podcast artwork, I sent in that photo <laughs> that I wanted that and people were like uh, you sure we don't want to get a logo or something? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> You're okay. like, this is perfect. So we did Vegas. We did Vegas, Did yeah. the Gorge. Did the Remember Gorge. Remember the Gorge? The Gorge is one of my favorite venues in the country. Yeah. Like, if you guys have never been to the Gorge, it is in the middle of Washington State, kind of two hours out of Spokane, and it's on the edge of a rock cliff, basically. And yeah. you sit, like, on this hill watching the sunset, watching the show. And um, yeah, there's like a, a few really cool festivals and that that happen there. And there's like hammocks that, where you can just like sit in this hammock, like looking into this beautiful valley. Yeah, you've been to some really epic shows. You choose the good ones. Yeah, no. So we did the Gorge. I forget where else we went. Oh, we went Gorge Vegas. Remember, because you did a raging right. idiot show. Oh my goodness! And I want to circle Blast back to that. Blast from the past, I, man. I, I have a question about that night. Okay. Now that we're being all honest with each other. <laughs> Great, perfect. In all seriousness, I've never lied to you in my life, and I've never actually even withheld things either. So except been, knowing that Jordan wasn't going to come to the TV yeah, show. Yeah, except that okay. I did. But at least I fessed up. There's True. Like five second Good rule. Take time. Five year rule. Five Got year rule. Five years. Yeah, it's not the same. Okay. So we did Vegas. Vegas, yeah. And then we did Detroit. Remember that? You oh played in a tree. Oh, my gosh. You played in a tree. I do remember that. What is that venue? Um, It was like... You were in a tree house. It was, it was like a large tree house, yeah. And it was really stormy. Like, the weather was kind of crazy. Um, I forget what that venue's called. My goodness. It's, it's crazy, Chuck. Like, we tour a lot. I mean, pre-COVID, we played like in 2019 we played 235 shows a year so we were on the road 280 days so chuck always texts and he's like hey what you doing and i'm like i'm playing five shows this week uh which one would you like to come to but yeah that treehouse in detroit was really cool um we also have have been to uh where was that with mount rushmore it was oh uh, yeah uh the Deadwood. 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 North Dakota. Deadwood. South Dakota. Yeah. yeah. Deadwood. Yeah, wherever it is. One of the Dakotas. It was so fun. And <laughs> and we, we took a tour to see uh, Mount Washington. Okay. I may or may not have had a private plane. May for or a may while, not. Yeah. And we may or may not have used that while going on tour. May or may right? not. Yep. The, uh, I, I think the single most obnoxious thing I ever did with that plane is we were flying to Deadwood, yep. and we were an hour and a half late, right. two hours late for some reason, because originally we were going to fly in, land, and then take a car up and go take totally. Mount Rushmore right. picture, right? right? And we were running late, and you were going to be late to sound check, so we couldn't do it. So I went up and told the pilot to buzz Mount Rushmore, and we came in and we banked. We banked around Mount Rushmore. It was Rushmore so crazy. So we could all take a picture of the president. From the plane. God, that was so obnoxious. Goodness gracious, hashtag first world problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was cool. Yeah, but that let's, was good times. Let's go back to Vegas on that okay. trip. Okay. Because I have a specific question I oh, want to no. ask. Yeah, no. Oh, you, no. You probably should say, oh, no. Don't oh, worry. We gosh. can edit this out, too. Perfect. Great. Um, so you're playing the Raging Idiots. Mm-hmm. I forget what the venue is that you're playing. Gosh, we've played so many shows in Vegas. Um, yeah, I forget where we played with them. And you figured out at this point that I'm harmless. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're fr- we're. I knew. Fr- I knew pretty early on in. Yeah. yeah. So you figure out I'm harmless. Raging Idiots is Bobby Bones. Mm-hmm. That's kind of his band. Half my audience doesn't know who he is. So, yeah, I mean, so arguably Bobby is Howard Stern of country music, it, right? Totally. Um, he's the biggest syndicated DJ in country music. Um, 
his show is so awesome. Like, they're so great. They're so funny. Six million listeners, seven million listeners a week. Yeah, and he's so great at what he does. You're dating Bobby at the time. At the time, yeah. But not telling anyone. But not telling anyone, That That was hush-hush, big secret. I knew. I mean, but... I didn't you knew, t- but didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't tell you that I knew and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So anyway, I come to the show. I actually I meet that. Bobby. Mm-hmm. Bobby was very nice to me. That was the first time you met him, right? That was the only time I've ever met him. Wow, that was the only time? Yeah. Wow, okay. No, so he's very nice and very pleasant. Yep. And you and I then go eat dinner at Nobu. That was one of the best dinners. Like, I still remember that dinner to this day. Oh, it was stunning good. No, boo. Oof. Oh, it so was good. so good because we basically just sat down and they're like, what do you want to eat? Yep. And we go, we want to be blown away. And we had like the filet mignon where they poured the bourbon or whatever over and, and it flambated. caught on fire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Lambe. And then what did we do? Uh, what did we do? I mean, we... We were in Vegas, downtown. We... Drank. We zip oh my gosh, we ziplined. That's right. That was that. That was the Raging that was Idiots the, tour. Yeah, that was the same. That was the or or was zipline? No, ziplining was that night. That's it's so sad that we can't remember. Yes. Um, We've done Vegas yeah. a few times. Yeah, we ziplined. We ziplined in old Vegas. So uh, yeah, and yeah. I was kind of terrified because I'd never ziplined before. But um, but it was awesome. Well, and I'm so scared of heights, but I was not going to look like a wimp in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm scared of heights. We were like, yeah, we should zip line. And probably Chuck was like, no, 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 no. no but it wasn't that bad, right? Yeah, no, it's really yeah. slow. It's really slow. And you're so strapped in. It's like totally. 10 straps could break. Exactly. So here's my specific question for that night. Okay. Am I so less little of a threat mm-hmm. why is bobby bones letting us go eat at nobu and zipline and have all that fun <laughs> is bobby like going ah that dude's no threat it's fine i mean like bobby when we were dating we just had such an understanding for each other's jobs because we knew how hard each other worked and yeah i've i've never really been in a relationship where it's been like a jealousy thing because i'm like when i get into a relationship it's like i'm with you for a reason and and vice versa. And so, yeah, I don't think he was ever worried. It was more just like, Damn are you it. cool? Are you cool? Why <laughs> you wanted you wanted to make I him? I at least like a little worried. <laughs> God, that dude's pretty good looking. Dude's taking you to Nobu. Dang. Zipline. That sounds fun. Oh my fun. gosh. Gonna go buzz Mount Rushmore. I mean, Tell me about it, right? I didn't even get it. We did a lot of exciting things. We did, but not even once. Not even once did the dude say, "Hey, what's this Chuck guy's story?" Um, he no, he definitely asked about you. He definitely asked about ah, you right, while we were dating, better. and and I, I, I think I just calmed his worries because I was like, "It's Chuck. Chuck's awesome." Uh, now this you is even more him. debilitating. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's just like you need to meet Chuck before you understand Chuck. <laughs> Chuck Yates, the one and only. The uh, it's just Chuck. All right, never mind. I walked into <laughs> that. I asked it. You did set yourself up for that. I did. Yeah, you whiff. Did. All righty, so we've gone yeah. out, we've toured, done a yep. lot of uh, a lot of uh, really cool stuff. You're a um, fabulous roadie. Yeah, if I could tune a guitar, I actually could. Yeah, we should honestly add that to your repertoire of of skills. You could you've tune my clo- guitar and Jules' guitar, and you'd be set for life. You, uh, I've I've closed the show for you. 
I mean, Luke sent me in. He's like, hey, man, go in there, add up all the numbers. We That's this. so true. So I've done that. You have. I've run meet and greets for you. You have? You've been my security detail? You've always been on time? I've always been on time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you ever want to come out on the road, I mean, I know you're looking for a job, so. <laughs> the, uh, I'm sure the girls, my daughters would be like, yeah, dad, go on the road. We can, yeah, exactly. We They'd be like, yeah, yeah, go, go yeah, for it. Yeah, exactly. You we'll, can travel. We'll see you later, yeah. dad. Send a text. It's all good. <laughs> you know, we have not had a screaming, I hate you, daddy, yet. Really? And I think, knock on wood, maybe we're past the point, but we were in range there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it just happens. It Every- just happens. I mean, I think it's just part of like, you know, growing up and hormones and track a lot of crazy things go on in these female brains. Yeah. No, and I get it. I mean, <laughs> I, totally, I, totally, I totally get it. So, yeah. But I'm glad that you like averted that stage. I think we did. Yeah. That's I good. think we did. Knock on wood. That's no, good. we never want to say that. But, um, all righty. So we've gone on tour. We've done a lot yep. of cool stuff. Yep. Um, all of that good. Th- Here's one of the things I want to talk about that I haven't heard you talk on another podcast about. Oh, goodness. What? <laughs> that That's very scary. You've already deflated my my manliness. Hey, you walked you into took, that one. You took away my man card. It's just Chuck. Good you God. You walked into that the one. The dude can throw Nobu and Flambe play <laughs> at me and... Hey, if just we called Jewel right now, she would 100% back me up on this. That I'm, oh, that I'm no threat. <laughs> oh, I'm going to need a moment. I'm going to need more wine, Oh, I think. my but gosh. But anyway. <laughs> now, this was a cool moment. And so you were playing Tulsa, mm-hmm. and we came to the Hard Rock, and we watched your show. And when I say we, it was me and Charlie. Yeah. And we were heading back towards the East Coast because Charlie was going to school. I remember that. And you were heading back to Nashville. And you and Charlie, for an hour and a half, talked about music. And y'all said 487 band names (laughs) that I hadn't even heard of. And this is what I think your fans need to know because I don't think they know this is... You know all about music, and I'm not talking that crap they play in Nashville, country pop, and all mm-hmm. that. Or even if if you knew old blues guitars, I think people yeah. would know that. I mean, y'all were talking EDM artists. Y'all were talking stuff. Honestly, Charlie Yates, you guys, is like so talented. You, it's so, so Drabab. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. the that's the that's the band name Drabab. Right, and right, right. Thank you for the commercial. That was very cool. Well, to, uh, but it's like it. it's very honest too. And yeah, I remember that conversation. But I listened to a lot of different things. And give us some of that. I mean, stuff outside of country that everybody in blues guitar that people would expect. Oh my gosh! Talk about two or three musicians that actually meant something to you. I like I I was signed to a country record label when I was twenty one, and um. And yet I listened to Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton and Derek you Trucks. You do a wicked superstitious. Thank you. Yes. We might have to pull that out for you tomorrow. Um, there we go. Yeah, I mean, I I listened to a lot of like blues and and rock and pop music and EDM music and indie music. I just, I'm inspired by any music that feels like real and authentic and so a lot of the weird stuff, my brain just kind of goes there. And I think it's why Charlie and I like 
hit it off so much on bands and we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard this dude? Have you heard this dude? And it's why I can listen to an EDM band that, you know, I, I could do EDM maybe one day. I mean, maybe one day I'll do a side project that's like all EDM stuff. Maybe Charlie and I can do a side project one day and, and just uh, write EDM music. But um, I just have such a respect for it because I know logically like what goes into creating those kind of tracks and um and it's truly an art form you know and just like going to look at a van gogh painting to listening to an edm track i'm just so inspired by different music especially when it's music that i don't play every single day and i think it's why in our live show i play like a little bit of everything i'm i'm really drawn to blues music i'm really drawn to um even like the jam band scene a little bit just because of like the musicality in it well and here's my big beef, and I get why this used to be. I mean, at the end of the day, 25 years ago, three country music stations in each big city, yep. two pop stations, one rock, all that. So I get why we had to conform mm-hmm. to that and, and all. Why do we have to do it today? I mean, we've got Spotify, we've got Apple Music, you can put it out, you can create your own Instagram page and all that. Yeah. Why I, Why is it, and this is coming from a place of love, but <laughs> Lindsay just looked at me like, what in the hell are you going to say? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I just feel like you're so musically gifted and can go do so much sort of stuff, but it feels like there's some pressure to conform to this is what Nashville sounds like. And I don't yeah. know why we have that anymore. I think it's changing. I think the music industry, for sure, because of all the DSPs, which is just a fancy word for digital service providers, basically Spotify and Apple Music and wherever you can stream music. And as streaming is taking off as an industry, radio is changing. Like the course of radio over the next five years is changing significantly. And a lot of people are now discovering new music from streaming services. And so I think you're finding like a slow progression over to less of genre lines of you know fenced in backyards of we need to categorize this music is this and this music is this and this music is played on this station and this music is played on the other station and now like with playlists playlists are a lot more crossover and those lines are so gray it's not black and white anymore and so I'm very excited as a musician because I feel like it'll just be the opportunity for real music to flourish and 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 really like there's less of a cat and mouse game with um what works and what doesn't work and it's more just what is reacting to fans which is i think just the the real blue and true thing of of um where the magic is and so i think it's moving in that direction country as a genre is one of the last in line i think (laughs) just because country radio is so important and a lot of country listeners still listen to music and discovering music from the radio. So in terms of like genre lines um, in country music, that's still really important. You know, because when I hang out with buddies and it's like name, you know, 10 bands or whatever. And actually one of the things I've been doing on the podcast is I ask guests, you know, give me a playlist. I love that. And what we found is talking about a playlist, like Energy Credit One came on, sat right where you are. Yeah. And the playlist, he talked about one of the songs that got him through his parents' divorce. I love it. And he's kind of the thoughtful leader on energy finance Twitter. 
And his playlist was like Shadrack from the Beastie Boys, you know, and Rage Against the Machine and all that. So it brings out a lot more about people when we're talking about music. The last podcast I did with Mark Bohorich, he talked a lot about gospel music because he was homeschooled because of faith type reasons. We talked about how great they are and all. But the one thing I've always noticed is whenever you ask a friend, okay, give me five or 10 of your favorite bands. It's never one genre. It's never one genre. It's not ever one genre. Thank you. Yeah. Right? Our favorite musicians, it's not like, I like EDM or I like country music, and then they're only going to listen to that. And even when you look at, like, when I look at my favorite artists and I see what they do, it's hard to even classify them as a genre. Like Tom Petty, for instance. Like, okay, you could say he's rock and roll, but he's so many different things also, you know? Or even John Mayer. Like, the vastness of what a true artist does kind of ebbs and flows a little bit, which is why I, I, I agree with you that music should just be music. And although we may need a little boundary lines to market it in, in a certain direction, um, I'm excited that those boundary lines are becoming less and less important. And um, I mean, I am very much so inspired by like blues and Motown and uh, I mean, everything from Stevie Wonder to Aretha Franklin to uh, there's this guitar player. His name is Derek Trucks. He's so flipping good. To there's this band called Wolfpack. Have you ever heard of Wolfpack? Uh-uh. They're like, they're so awesome. They're all so talented. They all can play different instruments. Um, I'm friends with one of the guitar players in that band, Corey. But um, they're they're just so, so good. Well, to that end... What I've never understood is, you know, you ask somebody, you know, who's your favorite band? And they will say, you know, I'm older, so let's go old school on this. Well, I really like Cool in the Gang. Who else do you like? Cheap Trick. Yeah. Why isn't Cool in the Gang opening for Cheap Trick? Or why isn't Cheap Trick opening for Cool in the Gang? I've never understood why on the road you don't have crossover stuff like that. In terms of, you know. I think you're seeing it more and more. Like, And when the you, festivals have helped. Festivals have helped. And, and shows like the Grammys, for instance, I think they've done a really good job in the past few years of, I mean, maybe not COVID because everything's so weird, but um, really collaborating and finding the weird collaborations where you take somebody from the gospel world and you put them with somebody in the urban world. Or yeah. you take somebody from country and you put them with somebody super pop. And it's like those cool collaborations that I'm like, okay, here are two artists who do completely different things and put them in a room together or on stage together and see what happens. And those are some of my favorite moments. Yeah. Was it Kendrick Lamar and Imagine Dragons? Perfect I think, example. At the like who that would have stunning. put that together? Yeah. But you watch that. And I think that award shows like the Grammys are where you want to see one of a kind moments like that because Kendrick and Imagine Dragons are not going to go on tour together. Like, right. I mean, mind you, though, that's a really good idea, and yeah. I would totally buy a ticket to that show. But like, they're probably not going to go on a worldwide tour together. And so, to to see moments of like collaboration like that, um, yeah, that's why I love award shows and and moments specifically. So who ultimately, and, you know, I'm energy guy, right? So I'm just sitting there watching the music industry because I'm a fan mm-hmm. and and uh, and the like. Who ultimately makes those decisions? Like the, 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 the music industry, who's the cabal? I mean, is it record company executives? Is it radio? It Take us into in, that world. 
it depends on what facet. Like, um, for instance, for a show like the Grammys, there's a whole um, board that you can, you know, be a member of, and and that board is um, is partly like what votes for all of the awards, like who wins the awards. It's the same as like the Oscars or the Golden Globes. Like they all have boards and on those boards. Isn't that a bunch of old white guys though? I mean, it's actually like the Grammys have done a really good job of of like diversification with like age, race, genre. And they've done a really good job um, in terms of like making sure that everybody is represented and, and, you know, they listen to everybody's different opinions um but so like award shows like that are kind of uh, a committee board decision um who makes the decisions who gets to play on the show there's usually a tv committee and there's usually a couple producers and so just like who gets on the voice you know right. it's like um it kind of goes down the pecking order with that i mean in terms of the music industry yeah record labels the job of a record label in today's day and age is mainly to um, market your music to radio or DSPs, like the the streaming services. And you can easily now, I mean, the fact that anybody can record songs in their bedroom on GarageBand or Logic or Pro Tools or whatever and release it and get it online in the matter of hours, it's it's kind of crazy. Like I I still feel that record labels have an incredibly important job of marketing music, um, and so you know that's that's what they a portion of of or a big portion of money that we pay them as artists goes towards is like marketing your career, of which you can arguably contract that out, but um, it's it's kind of like this new form of the music industry now. Like it's all bets are off the table. There's no rules on how you can do it and how you can't do it or who your manager has to be. Like Chance the Rapper, his manager was like a buddy of his. Like it, there's like no rules on how it's supposed to be done. I mean, the Beatles stopped touring because they made more money producing albums. 100%. Right? I mean, isn't that crazy? And like Kiss has made more money off of merchandise than they've ever made from their music. And that, that goes to show you like building a brand and having – a whole thing behind who you are and what you do. I mean, the the offshoots of that are are just tenfold. It's so crazy. the record com- so so let's let's take a for example in your life. So last August you mm-hmm. dropped Heart Theory. Yeah. Yeah, your latest and greatest album. The record mm-hmm. company's in charge of getting that played. Yeah, it's um it, it's a little bit of everybody's job, but for sure the record companies. So who's everybody in your scenario? It's record company. Like manager. I have a manager. I have a business manager. I have an agent. I have a lawyer. I have, I pay a lot of people. I, know. <laughs> I mean, don't we all though? Um, I closed your show one night. You did. <laughs> yeah, you I saw you, you there totally were a lot do. of people going, I didn't order tax. What the hell is tax? Tax yeah. and insurance. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. And then the record label. I guess you could say it is their job to help get the record out there and to all of the people who play it. You know, a publicist also helps with that as well, sometimes getting you press around, you know, album launches and, and, and certain um, interviews and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the record label is definitely in charge of sort of passing it to the people. 
And so they're kind of in charge of that. And basically it's radio stations. And actually there are more country music radio stations in America than any other genre. Mm -hmm. It's playlists and all that sort of stuff that that's out there. And so that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And, you know, what's really interesting about all this, and I'm just going to say it, why isn't the fucking Bobby playing your music? <laughs> I mean, right? Chuck. You cannot be a bad ex-girlfriend. Trust me, I'm willing to sign up for the role. But you can't be a bad ex-girlfriend. Why the hell is that not out there? So It's a um, good album. I, I put my heart and soul into this album. You and, did. Um, as a songwriter, I mean... We write about what we're going through in life, and um, I wrote some of this record about my breakup. And um, you know, I've I've never gone on record to say this album's about Bobby Bones, but a lot of fans know that I wrote this when I was going through the breakup. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love Bobby to death and I wish him the most happiness and we've been like really cool after we broke up I mean we we both like wanted the best for each other and everything has has been um totally fine and and then shortly before the album got released um it just sort of dropped off into nowhere and I didn't really know what happened and i have worked really really hard and i nobody works harder than you do thank you, you i mean i care I about my, what i, I tell I do my a girls lot. that every day i mean i really do i mean it is amazing i don't know how many times cool stuff has come up and it's always like hey lindsay want to go do it no i gotta go play a rodeo show in Roanoke, virginia yeah yeah you know? i love what i do so much and it's why it's just so frustrating when um i feel like i'm not doing it the right way and and even saying that sentence, it's like, gosh, is there a right way to to do it? But I, I just feel like, okay, if I get my hand slapped for writing songs that I wasn't trying to hurt anybody's feelings, I was just trying to write honest music. Um, yeah, it just, it causes me to sit back and be like, okay, I guess I just got to figure out another way to do it. Well, so we're coming up on the week or the year anniversary of me getting fired. Yeah. You know, and it was uh How did that make you feel? Um to be honest, relieved. I mean, Good. there was just a lot of crappy stuff that was going to have to be done in this business. I remember talking people. to you like sh shortly, I mean before and shortly after that and um and yeah, I mean nobody wants to get fired. Goodness gracious, like nobody likes to get fired, but the fact that you felt relief after that, I mean, was it a blessing in disguise? I don't even think it was disguised. Okay. I mean, I, I really okay. do think it was a it was a blessing. And kind of where I was going with this was it obviously cost me a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of if you told me today, hey, Chuck, you need to cut a check for this amount, but you'll get to live the life you just lived for the last year, mm -hmm. would you do it? I hate to tell Kane this. I'd have cut twice that check, you know? Wow. And and so where I'm going with this, and again, I'm getting long-winded, and I'm also a full mason jar into the bond wine. <laughs> oh, goodness By gracious. the way, we wine flexed, and we went, we went bond wine on this. But you don't regret trying something and failing. 
And in yep. fact, kind of looking back on that, it's, you know, the things I tried and I failed about, I don't give a rat's ass about. And so at the risk of not sounding too condescending, Lindsay, you're not going to regret when you're 52 years old that I went and wrote this song because that's what was in my heart and you played it and you recorded it. and Yeah, I definitely know what it feels like to write music for the radio because I think it's going to be commercial and there is no life in that for, for me at least I mean some artists do it and do it flawlessly and kudos to them because I just can't do it like I need to write stuff that that feels real and um and sometimes I just get you know held back I guess by that I gotcha you recently wrote an amazing letter yeah and um, I'd love, so my 12 listeners mm-hmm. don't know about the letter. They don't know why the letter was written. What will you share about that? Um, you mean the letter like my story? Yeah. You. Yeah, I am. Um, we had sexual assault month that you just wrote. Oh, that a letter. letter. For. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I am a survivor. I I was raped when I was 13 and when I was 21, and I never talked about it. Um, I never wanted it to be like this publicity statement that I was just wanting to get attention for. And and so I just didn't really ever talk about it. And um, I went to go to this place called Youth for Tomorrow, and they're an organization that helps kids 12 to 18 who've been through some rough things in their childhood. A lot of them are victims of rape or sex trafficking. So I went there to help them launch their music program. This is about four years ago now. And um, I sat down at this conference table with 12 other little girls. And there was this girl who was 12 years old beside me. And she was like, Lindsay, my parents sold me to a sex trafficking company when I was little. And I'm like, what? And here's this 12-year-old little girl, and she had so much light in her eyes and in her heart. And she was in such a beautiful place. And I'm like, you have had such a dark, heavy childhood that most children like couldn't even imagine. And yet you're, you're just full of life. And um, spending time with that, those kids that day just resonated with me so deeply. And I was like, if I don't talk about my story right now, it is holding back the opportunity to go help more kids like that and to get them to that place. Because I know it happens far more often than any of us want to admit, um, whether it's to kids or grown adults. And and I just know what a difficult time I had with it when I was little. I didn't tell my parents for seven years. And and that's what I want to ask about because yeah. obviously I'm father of 15-year-old, 14-year-old. Yeah. And I totally understand that they're not going to come at they make they'll, they'll go talk to mom before they will talk to dad and all. But You never know. Are what as dad should I be looking for? Were were there signs you tried to give your dad? And I love your parents. Yeah. Your parents have been the, great. To the me. craziest thing is I have the best parents that you a do. girl could ask for. Like they're so loving, they're so caring, they're so supportive. And I don't know why I couldn't tell them. I felt like I had done something wrong. I felt so ashamed. I felt um, embarrassed. And it it was like this scar that I I kept secretly and was like, well. Um, and the first one happened within my church. So it was just like a whole bunch of things were wrapped up in our community and like the people we knew. And, and I just felt like it was better just not to rock the boat. 
And so I guess advice for a dad, and it's so weird because, again, like I have the best parents. Like I love them so flippin' much. They're amazing. But just like always make it a safe space. Yeah. Always make it a safe space and always have conversations that are difficult to have. And and, um, when I looked at like, I remember looking at some of my friends' relationships with their parents and their parents would talk to them about like, how was the date last night? Did you guys make out and stuff like that? And I'm just like, whoa, you have those kind of conversations with your parents? Like, that's crazy. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've never had children, obviously, but looking at that dynamic from like friends and, you know, knowing my own childhood and being able to work with kids in, in some of these um, centers, I think it's always such a, a beautiful thing when parents create that safe space and when they can have that open dialogue and communication to where a kid feels like they can say anything and it, it'll be okay. And it's interesting you say that because Sarah and Kelly have both over about the last year really started asking a lot about my dating life. It's amazing. And I've very I've I've always answered it and I've been very gently asking back. And yeah. so last night at dinner, uh Kelly and I were sitting there and she was like, Daddy, who was your first girlfriend? <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, so we went through and uh I actually went with Amber Brown because that was uh fifth grade, but uh fifth what? grade, Chuck Yates. I shouldn't be surprised. Well, we went together. I don't think we actually talked. I gave her <laughs> I gave her my ID bracelet, but I'm not sure we actually Ooh, ever talked. Oh, your ID bracelet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we talked about our fir- I talked about my first kiss and yeah, and so it was it's kind of curious that my my tomboy daughter Kelly who's starting to go through puberty yeah. and the like and I asked her I said I said are boys still are boys still icky? And she goes, not all of them, Daddy. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. I think it's a beautiful thing for you to even ask those questions because sometimes it's a a weird thing. It's a weird thing to talk to your parents about. And when you open that door and you can, like, make it a really safe space for them to walk into, um, I think that's that's a good place to be. It really is. So – the most incredible piece of music I've heard in the past decade. Oh, goodness. No. Okay. No, in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is interesting because it took me a while to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I fully grasped it and the magnitude of it until I went out on the road with you and I saw it in Chattanooga is Make You. Thank you. Make You is amazing. I mean that. Last decade. Two decades, maybe. I wanted to write a song about my story, and it was such a weird thing to write about because there's, like, so many emotions to put into three minutes. But um, but thanks, Chalk. That means a lot. I, I just wanted to write something that's universal enough to say all of the things we go through, regardless of what it is, because we all have our own stories and we all have our own trauma, and it's not – trauma isn't something to compare to one another. Like – if it's trauma to you, it's trauma to you. It doesn't matter what it is or how lofty your story is compared to the next person. Feelings are facts. Feelings are facts, 100%. And um, it, it, it was so important for me to say that the trauma we go through in our lives does not define who we are. It's what we choose to do with it that defines who we are. 
And so my favorite lyric in Make You is what bends and stains and breaks you, that's what's going to make you. Because it's like all of that shit that like knocks you down and feels like it punches you in the face and gives you like bruises and scars. That's what makes you who you are. That's what makes you stronger and more resilient. And I mean, goodness gracious, like when I talk to my brother in the energy business, I know I know the battles that you have fought and like compiling deals like it happens regardless of what industry you work in or in marriages or in friendships but it's like that's the kind of stuff that really builds us into the humans that we show up as every day so my favorite line in it and this was chattanooga because i mean i'm sitting out in the audience watching and you go over to the piano Mm -hmm. yeah i was roadieing (laughs) and i go you go to the piano and and uh, the line that really got me was make you question god wondering if he ever cares you know you know i was raised catholic as a little girl and um when all that stuff happened uh when i was 13 i didn't want to go to church anymore and so i just had this weird relationship with church for a long time and in my adult life i've i've always prayed a lot like i've always talked to god but religion became this thing that that i felt like i it was marching orders that I was given and I needed to do them or I was going to hell. (laughs) That was kind of what I learned, you know? And really in the past two years, I have taken my faith and I've been like, okay. Like I I live in Nashville, Tennessee. It's like the heart of the Bible Belt. And I have a lot of- It's a notch. It's a (laughs) a notch. That's so true. It's a deep notch in the Bible Belt. And I have a lot of friends that say, you know, they're- um, they're Christians. And I'm like, okay, my friends that say they're Christians are on a vast, large spectrum. And some of them say they're Christians and don't live that life. And some of them don't say they're Christians and live more of a Christian life than the people who do say they are do. And so I'm just like, okay, what is my faith? What do I believe? And I, and I want to like really understand that. And so since writing Make You, um, I, I feel like Again, anytime we go through difficult things in life, we do kind of question God and we're like, God, why would you why would you put me through this? Why would you make me feel this kind of pain? This sucks. And yet in the past couple of years, I've just really been honest with my faith and like I've been reaching for the Bible and reading it for me for the first time ever in my life and trying to figure out what things mean and listening to a lot of different different things and, and reading so many books and listening to there's this um he's actually Canadian this Canadian philosopher his name is Jordan Peterson and he um does this series on YouTube this shows how much of a nerd I am um called like uh goodness gracious I've listened to like 30 hours of him talking it's like the significance of the biblical series Jordan Peterson and each lecture is like three hours long and he has like 17 of them or something. But um, but he goes in and like picks apart like different stories of the Bible and talks about, you know, breaks them apart. And and um, I just feel like in the past couple of years, I've really been trying to understand what God means to me in my life. And I think that the beauty of a faith is you get to decide what that means for you. You don't. You and I talked about this at lunch or brunch the yeah. the other day when we when I went out on tour with you, and I was the same way. I mean, until five six years ago, 
I was going to church because I thought I was going to hell otherwise. Yeah. You know? And in fact, you've met Patrick Miller, my priest. He came and Patrick's saw your show. Patrick's awesome. And Patrick Gray. He's so awesome. Yeah. Actually, he was the best roaster at my roast. <laughs> I hate to tell Jewel that, but Patrick was the guy. <laughs> but, but what's interesting about that is we did, that's podcast number two. I had Patrick on and we talked yeah. about that. And I was like, yeah, I thought I was going to go to hell. And Patrick was like, in the church, we counted on that. <laughs> that, was, that was our deal. I love that honesty. Yeah, he's like, yeah we that's how on. you keep coming. But what, and and I told him, um, I told him about just all these things that had happened that, quote unquote, co- coincidences where ultimately it was divine intervention. Yeah. You know, kind of getting me through things and, and all that. And so... From that, I figured out, no, 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 no. There's this cool dude that wants to have a relationship. Yep. Like, he wants me to talk. He's going to talk back. Totally. It's a relationship. And the way Patrick talks about it, his job as a priest is not to lecture you about the Bible, condemn you to hell if you don't follow it or whatever. He's just there to convince you that forgiveness exists. Yeah. There's a community. We can forgive ourselves. We can forgive each other. And if we can acknowledge that, then Jesus is present. Totally. And in my, like, logical side of my brain, like the little nerd girl, Lindsay, who whose favorite subjects were chemistry and math growing up, like, when I was first diving into this, like, at the beginning of, like, the last couple of years, I was like, okay, I want to understand why. Like, I want to understand why. And... I mean, science can go back to like a split second before the Big Bang, but there's a certain level that we just can't explain. And like when you really like start to break down the world and the planet and creation, and there's like a meaning behind everything that becomes so meaningless if you don't have a purpose behind it. And like the the sentence god is omniscient like that is a word that i don't think our brains can fully understand like i don't think we can truly take that in and and break down what that means and yet there's a belief or faith in just knowing that that um that i think just gives you like a a deeper level of purpose in and everything you do one of the interesting discussions patrick and i had that really kind of tugged at me, and I'm going to use you you as the example, is, I mean, you went through something really horrific, and it made you who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just talked about make you and all that. And, you know, I care deeply about you. You're a dear, dear friend. And there's an amount of guilt I have about that, you know? Yeah. Because you sit there and you go, well, would I care this much about this person had they not been forged through that fire? And, you know, because I've had numerous friends that have had issues that you'd never wish upon your kids, Jewel being homeless. I mean, you know, kind of you, 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 you and other friends that have had that sort of stuff. And so I kind of laid that out over about 30 minutes to Patrick one night as we were sitting around talking about it. And after I kind of got done, I go, man, I feel really guilty for this. And he goes, no, dude, just means you're a decent person. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it totally and, means yeah, you're a decent person, and, and and that was just Patrick's whole thing. It's like bad stuff happens to all of us. Doesn't yes. mean God doesn't care. No, it's just He gave us free will. He gave us free will, and like 
he created the good and the bad so that that we can learn and and tries you know to protect us in scenarios so that we just don't have to suffer but sometimes we choose the things that are just gonna (laughs) make us suffer an awful lot or sometimes we're thrown into scenarios that we can't control that um will hopefully help us learn a lot and and turn into him more and and develop a deeper level of vulnerability and strength that then allows people to see us in a different light so I think there's always a silver lining, and maybe that's just the eternal optimist in me. But we'll do this. I'm looking to my left, and I just happen to see a piano. Oh my gosh! You know, if you were to play "Make You" <laughs> on okay. this keyboard, it would really make my night. Oh, all right. Um, are we set up to do that? Of course, I have we're no probably idea. set up to do Chase, that. Chase, Andy. Oh, oh look at my that gosh! You even surprise. had this worked out. Wow. I did not know this. Okay. Um, yeah, we can do this in real time. This is awesome. Um, this is a song I wrote about my story as a little girl. And um, yeah, I, I hope that if you have ever been through a challenging time in your life, you know that it doesn't define you, but um, what you choose to do with that Well, it's called Make You. Fortress where you never have 
You had the you. piano. I was like, it's on. There's a mic there. This is totally to planned. Lindsay L., you were so so cool to come on. Thanks, Chuck. Prominent businessman Chuck Yates. I feel honored to be on the pod. <laughs> you, to be on the pod. <laughs> you should aspire to way more. But anyway, <laughs> th- thank you for slumming. And My pleasure. I'm so excited that you're playing the front yard tomorrow. It's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. So did y'all really learn bad reputation? Maybe. Maybe. Third verse? We'll see. Third verse? I might be calling you up tomorrow. (sighs) I love it. Lindsay L., thank you for coming on. Chuck Yates, we love you so much. Love you too, dear. (laughs) 